For our Old Testament reading, I'll be reading from Malachi chapter 2, verses 4 to 9, and from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 to 16. Malachi 2, 4 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. Now Ezekiel 34, verses 1 to 16. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. And they were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field, and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill, and my flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth and there was no one to seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, surely, because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. And I shall demand my sheep from them, and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves any more, but I shall deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. And I will bring them out from the peoples, and gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the streams, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down in good grazing ground, and they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with Let us consider now reading from the New Testament. The Gospel of John chapter 10, verses 7 through 16. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they have my life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. 
The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. As I trust it is somewhat self-evident, this is the special day at Grace Bible Church uh, in which we acknowledge uh, the immediate work of God in raising up qualified men uh, to advance His service uh, in our midst. It's not a light thing uh, to see the work of God and to acknowledge that He uh, forms His church, He calls it, He equips it, He raises up men to continue the work of the ministry uh, under His charges. Uh, this morning we are gathered uh, to acknowledge God's sovereign providence in raising up men to protect and advance the cause of Christ in our midst. We come formally to acknowledge and install them in what is the divine call of God. Paul Buchanan is a deacon charged with the material affairs of church life. Again, the church is many things. It is a physical presence, and God raises up men to protect and to labor, to advance that physical presence. And as well, Ronnie Andrews is a ruling elder charged with the spiritual affairs of church life. Uh, we are a physical, visible presence in the world in which we live, but we are even more so a spiritual presence where God meets with His people to manifest His glory. We come to uh, taste and see that this morning. Again, God's uh, providence. And the text that we are going to use this morning to engage such is Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 32. I'm going to read the text and then acknowledge God's provision and the men before us. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away the disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, the word of the Lord. We thank God for His word. And we thank God that His word comes to us this morning to a particular event of acknowledging these two, these two men. But I begin by looking at another man. I think of 
me, the Apostle Paul is one of the greatest men that's ever lived. You're notwithstanding the incarnation, it's the man of the ages. And the time has its man of the year. Every rag seems to acknowledge someone in a special way. But God used the Apostle Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles, call and equip the church. And so he comes to us this morning in Ronnie Andrews and Paul Buchanan to give us a benchmark in his own life. A benchmark is something that you set your life to. I know behind the Apostle Paul is the Lord Christ and we are to be conformed to his image, but Paul is a benchmark and a remarkable benchmark he is. That God gives to us a man and he also gives to us the ministry of the man uh, that these two men can uh, set their lives to. Uh, The context of uh, our passage is Uh, quite remarkable. Geographically, this is uh, Paul's third missionary journey. You can see in the man, he was uh, dedicated to advancing in missionary journeys of the gospel that had been given to him in uh, proclaiming Christ and his kingdom. And on subsequent missionary journeys, he would go back through and appoint uh, officers in the church. This is his farewell discourse uh, to the elders at the church at Ephesus. He's in Miletus and he calls for the Ephesian elders, if you will, to pass the baton to him. One of the things we need to recover in the Christian church is that we are not individuals. We are part of the body of Christ constituted of which the Lord is head, but it is a generational calling. We're not simply after our children. We are after our children's children and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, not simply biologically, but spiritually. The Christian faith is a generational event, and this is part of that event. Paul is passing a baton. Grace Bible Church receives the Word of God through the apostolic ministry and passes it to gifted men that God has raised up generationally. In Paul's particular ministry, his enemies have been attacking him relentlessly, charging him for engaging in ministry for financial gain and for being incomplete in his work. He comes to address those charges. By the way, in your life, in your service as a priest of God, And I believe that if you are a Christian, you are a priest of God. Do not be surprised when you encounter men or women who will charge you with unfaithfulness in your service to God. It is part of the life of which we live. It just simply goes with the territory. Don't be overly upset. If they tried to tree the Apostle Paul, they will try to get you as well. In verses 18 and 21, Paul recites his past. It's a checkered past. But in terms of his coming to faith and his apostolic ministry, it is somewhat impeccable. That is the benchmark for all of us. He begins by saying, I serve the Lord with great humility and tears. Verse 19. Apostle Paul was very unassuming. You and I uh, live in a world in which men are not so unassuming. Everything is drawing attention in some way or another to uh, spiking the ball in the end zone, speaking metaphorically. But serving the Lord, we are to be unassuming. Because our lives are simply benchmarks pointing to someone that is greater than we are a cause and a calling that is much greater uh, than the circle of, uh, of our own lives. And that is the glory of the Lord. It's interesting, he says to me in tears. 
Generally, as adults, uh, we, we shed tears very rarely in our lives. Perhaps the passing away of a, a child or a parent or someone's very dear. Perhaps an event in which just so rattles our lives, like perhaps being dismissed from a job or cashiered from something, breakup of a relationship. But Paul ministered continually by shedding tears. A marker of his deep concern. When we're called to Christian service and ministry, as all of us are, but these two men in a particular significant way, we shed tears. Because ministry is costly. It's one of the most costly emotional events that you can ever engage in. Very careful about raising your hand volunteering for Christian service because the price is high. Simply known men that have trained but never entered the pastoral ministry, engaged in lighter work. I understand why. Because the expense sometimes is difficult. Ronnie and Paul, you'll see people turn away. You'll see them leave the faith. Uh, you'll see them deal lightly with the charge of God. Shed your tears. Paul did. The Lord did. It's an expression of the costliness with which we hold the baton, the humility with which we grasp it. Not to be taken lightly. And by the way, as a congregation, uh, support them, encourage them in such a way that over you, they don't have to shed tears. It is a difficult thing to watch someone commit spiritual suicide, to deal lightly with the things of God and the soul, which is eternal, lives forever. But such is the calling of God. Verse 20, I preach for your gain publicly and privately. There were rare occasions that Paul received financial support, but by and large an expression of his love for the people he set aside his right for financial gain. His enemies had charged him for laboring for enrichment. I don't uh, think many ministers uh, will ever be on the pages of the Forbes 400, but nonetheless, uh, some are quite skilled in achieving financial gain out of the word of the Lord. But that is not your calling to serve people purity of love as Christ served us in love. Eternal love. Think of it. In eternity past, God set His love upon His church. That is a hallmark of our ministry. We have the content of His past service. Verse 21 that men must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Content of his ministry. He was not an entertainer. Uh, he preached that men should turn their hearts away from themselves, away from their culture, and turn them to God. Something of what salvation is. And of course, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ the means of apprehending the majesty of the Gospels, faith, faith in Christ. Ronnie and Paul, part of the content of your ministry will be such repentance and encourage people to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, I'm going to Jerusalem. He turns now to the future. Verses 22 to 24, I'm going to Jerusalem. And the Spirit has warned me of prison and hardships. Ministry is costly. Probably in the American culture in which we currently live, you will not be in prison for your ministry, but who knows? The thought police are always on the horizon. Always on the horizon. The world hates us. It does not like our message. We'll always try to stamp it out. 
But nonetheless, we must be prepared to to face prison and hardships. He says, I consider my life worth nothing. So it is. We have a way in our culture of holy, holding tightly onto our rights. But the Christian learns to let them go after the majesty of our Savior. He did not hold fast to his heavenly environment, to the eternal praise of the angelic host. For all that his environment was as the Son of God, he set it aside momentarily to come as the incarnate God, the God-man, to serve. He came to serve, to give his life a ransom for many, for many. So it is. The Apostle Paul was a benchmark. He considered his life worth nothing. He'd learned to let it go. All the hardships, the difficulties, the anger that you will see, people, at some point you have to learn to let it go. To press onward. It is the Lord in His smiles that we see, not the smiles of men. We do not come to chase the applause of men or the recognition of the world. Don't think that the city council of the village will knock on your door with some statue to give you. They probably won't. They probably could care less. You come to serve the Lord of glory in His church. Paul says, I only want to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord has given him. Many start, few finish. You're called to finish the task that God in His grace gives to you. Mindful of uh, the Apostles' words in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. That is, as you know, the Apostles' last epistle. He is passing the baton to his legacy, Timothy, his legacy. Again, the Christian life is a generational event. Paul had a legacy. All of you should have legacies. Your children and grandchildren should be your legacy. The officers in the church, they have a legacy in the church. They're reaching generations. Because that's a call of God. Paul says, I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I have fought good the good fight. I aspire to such words. Only the grace of God will enable you to say those words perhaps on your deathbed or perhaps when you can no longer serve because of health or for whatever reason. By application, I, I, I call all of you. Christian life is not your own private affair. It is a public event in a body called the Church of Jesus Christ of which He is head. This is not an individual sport. It's a team event. And I trust as you so labor as a priest of God in the gifts and talents that He has given to you that someday you can say, I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I crossed the finish line. how dependent we must be upon the grace of God to utter such sublime and majestic words. I would pray in the ministry of Paul and Ronnie that they would help you in such a great calling. Urge you, press you, be a cheerleader that you too can say those most glorious words. I would trust all of us at Grace Bible Church that we would live our lives in such a way and engage in such ministry that we could say someday, I have no regrets. Certainly the Apostle Paul has come to that point in his life. 
There's something else here, and I mentioned this a second time. It should not go without the repetition it deserves. He specifies the content of his ministry. The latter part, the 24th verse. Testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Isn't that remarkable? One of the hallmarks of Grace Bible Church is we proclaim the doctrines of the sovereign grace of God. I say that with tears. The vast majority of the American church could not utter such a statement. The Apostle Paul did and has. And that is our calling. It's not a message I would have fashioned, to be sure, but it is the divine record of God's revelation of His grace calling His people, protecting, keeping them, and preserving them. And in such, He gives to us means. The men before us are those means. But it is the gospel of the grace of God. My own particular benchmark is the theology that comes out of the Protestant Reformation because it was the greatest revival of all time. And the church recovered. Notice I did not say discovered. It recovered what had been lost by the church. That it lost the message of the grace of God. Recovered in this greatest revival, I think, ever in the history of the church. And we follow in such. And that is what you are to proclaim and to live. The gospel, the grace of God. Verses 25 to 27, Paul turns to his present work. Past, future, now present. He says, I've been preaching the kingdom. The reign of God that has broken into this world. God has started spiritually. Christ is reigning spiritually from the right hand of the Father. We struggle with that as Americans. We, we don't have a monarchy in our culture. We dispatch with that physically in the American Revolution, but we ought not to dispatch it spiritually. Christ is King. That is what we proclaim. He doesn't seek your vote. He doesn't need your vote. What you need is Him as your King. Bow before Him. That is your ministry. The Lord's reign has begun in Christ. Paul preached that. Notice again, content. Content. is a hallmark of our ministry. We don't think in those terms today. We think in terms of, uh, how many people did you add to your church today? Because that's really the hallmark of the presence of God. Nowhere is Paul dealing with numbers or pragmatic philosophy. If it works in the world, it'll work in the church. That is not the ministry of deacons and elders. It's the content of Paul's past, present, and future ministry. Content. I say that with tears. American church needs a revival. Biblical content. And you ought to encourage men who proclaim faithfully the word of the Lord and who live it to protect your physical plant, the administration of the life of the church, who spiritually so engage. The moment you leave biblical content and doctrine and theology, I believe you cease to be a church. You might be a collection of people. You might be a crowd. You might have a lot of people on your rolls. But you're not a church. And that is the chief place where the Lord Christ is designed to meet His people. The church. The church. He tells the elders they will not see him again. I'm sure said that with tears. I'm sure some of them began to cry. I mean, how would you like to lose the Apostle Paul? All of his sacrifice. 
Would that it would be so in the ministry of all of us. We would hold one another so dearly that in the breaking up of the body we would shed tears. Let it be said in Grace Bible Church. That is the care that we exercise towards people when the right content so delivered, labored over to advance the faith. It says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. I think that text in my own mind is an Old Testament allusion uh, to uh, the prophet Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter. Verses 1 to 6. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your countrymen and say to them, When I bring the sword against a land and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, what we're doing this morning, acknowledging the watchman that God has raised up. And the watchman sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people. Then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes his life, his blood will be on his own head. He disregarded the warning. He's the guilty party, not the watchman. Since he heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning, his blood is on his own head. If he had taken warning, he would have saved himself. But, if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes the life of one of them, the man will be taken away because of his sin, but I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. Part of the life of the ministry of deacons and elders is to warn people. I think one of the greatest travails in the ministry of the church today is we have failed to warn people who put their souls in eternal peril. But if the warning comes to you, take, take note. Be careful about it. I'm certain it is spoken in love and compassion with study and serious thought. But that is the ministry. Much of the ministry of the Scriptures is to warn people about the Lord of glory. We engage in many different types of ministry. We encourage. We befriend. We speak words of kindness and tenderness and compassion. But there are times when we draw the sword to warn. Let us take careful heed. The Apostle Paul is saying, I did my job. I presented my warnings. And he's about on the very precipice of delivering one of the most sterling, poignant warnings of all of the New Testament. He speaks to the elders Ephesus. He says in verse 27, I didn't draw back or avoid from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Isn't that interesting? That is the fourth reference of the content of his ministry. Content. We don't think in those terms. We think in terms of numbers. How many cars are in the parking lot? What kinds of cars in the parking lot? For Paul, success was content. Let me give you an illustration. Different people, but I'll simply give you two people. Every year, past number of years, seven or eight or ten, Tim and Cherry Hope come back from Uganda, the continent of Africa, where we have given them God's money to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to build up the church. To this date, I've never asked them how many. I've asked them, what have you preached? What have you taught? Because that is the hallmark. Have you remained true 
to the doctrines of the sovereign grace of God, the Protestant Reformation, the tradition delivered to you. They can't make Christians. Who can? Who can change a heart? Who can argue to a heart that is so black and closed that it's harder than granite? Only God can change such a heart. I love the Apostle Paul preaching. And it says at one moment in his sermon, the Lord opened the heart of Lydia. Had the Lord not opened her heart, nothing would have happened. I will tell you, if you are a Christian, you came to faith because God, in the, one of the greatest miracles of all time, opened your heart. I don't know how, why, when. I know what he used, the gospel. But I know that your heart was so close to him that had he not kicked the door open, you would have never come. It's never about numbers. It's about content. And what God has promised to bless is the truth of Scripture. Here Paul says, I did not draw back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You and I live in a city that is really dominated by semi-Pelagianism. I was talking a number of years ago with a person who attended Grace Bible Church, and he said, I grew up in that tradition, and I never heard, for the decades that I went to that church that I attended, I never once heard that minister proclaim the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. I understand that. It's one of the most difficult passages in all of the Scripture. But you and I do not set a cafeteria before people. We set before them the whole counsel of God. That is calling Ronnie and Paul. The whole counsel of God. Not bits and pieces. So many times we read the Bible and say, what in the world do I do with that text? Well, you proclaim it. You teach it. You study it. I know people don't want to hear messages about discipleship and sacrifice and costliness and shedding tears, but that is part of the whole counsel of God. And the joy that it is to come to the end of your days saying, I fought the good fight. Kept the faith. Ran the course. Give your life in supporting these men to utter such profound words. All of this engages the nature of the call of God to the men before us this morning by way of character. Men who serve, men who sacrifice, men who labor in the content of their ministry. Now, I, and, 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 and I do encourage them. At some point you back off and you say, I leave the results to the Lord of glory for only He can change hearts. But let it not be said that God does not use means. He does. And may these men be used in a mighty way. This is, I think, a man, a timeless man of the ages. The Apostle Paul. His character, his ministry. May these two men follow in that tradition. But in verses 28 to 20. 32, pardon me, he engages in the generational event of apostolic succession in terms of his theology. In terms to warn the church. Uh, begins verse 28 with a charge, followed by the reasons or the necessity of the charge, verses 29 to 30. Concluding verse 31 with another charge and then closing off with a benediction of repairing to God and His glory. Great pattern here, by the way, of human responsibility and divine sovereignty. Human responsibility and divine sovereignty. First, he tells the elders, and I'm sure there were deacons that were present, be on your guard. 
present imperative that speaks to continuous action. Never let your guard down. Be forever ready. It means that we are protectors of the faith with the solemn duty to warn when danger is present, and that is what Paul is about to do. I do remind you, all of you, but certainly Ronnie and Paul, we are a tolerant, loving, forgiving people. But it can never, ever be at the expense of the content of doctrine and theology and biblical truth. Never at the expense of those things. I define this in two ways. The Scriptures, the Word of God, and that nothing new is to come into the life of this church. Nothing new is to come in to the life of this church. All of you belong to organizations that are always experimenting with change, embracing things that are new. That is not the church. The Reformed tradition is our benchmark. It is true that church life is always reforming, but its truth is absolute and settled. That is the tradition that we belong to at Grace Bible Church, the Protestant Reformation. Certainly the church corrupted the great doctrines of the faith. God started a revival. We know that revival is the Protestant Reformation. Our lives are always reforming as they should be because we're fallen sinners. We need the grace of God on every, each day. The truth is settled forever. We cannot waver here. We are the messengers of God. When we become the message, we cease to be the church. We may be a crowd. We may be a big crowd. No longer the church. I know that in our culture, we're a youth-oriented culture. And if there's one thing that's true of parents, they're desperate to reach their young children. The church is not a youth-oriented culture. We teach truth to young and old. That is our culture. Pragmatism is not our hallmark. If something works at a bank, that doesn't mean I should borrow it from the bank and bring it into Grace Bible Church. I remind you, continual, repetitive references to the Apostle Paul to the content of his ministry as the Word of God. Notice the direct objects of the Apostle's charge. Again, verse 28, he's warning the church, keep watch, guard, continually, guard. Uh, when I was in the army, uh, a couple of times I had to do guard duty. It's awful lonely. Three o'clock in the morning. It's winter time. It gets brutal. Difficult times to guard the church. Usually there was an officer to guard. He would always show up at the worst times. If he was a good officer to guard, it was winter time. We would bring hot coffee and donuts. Just a reminder to encourage, stay awake, keep vigilant. Eternal vigilance is the price of the freedom of the church. Eternal vigilance. Keep guard over yourselves, the elders, and all the flock of God which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders and deacons. I'm not appointing you of anything this morning. The Spirit of God is. You're receiving a baton from the great God of heaven. Hold it fast. Keep it. Preserve it. Engage in the greatest of all events, the generational call to the worship of the one true God. Elders can and deacons can and do fail. It's part of the battle with which we are engaged. 
Men abandon their appointments. As to the latter, you are shepherds of the church of God, either in its material, administrative life, or its spiritual life. You are the defenders and protectors. The context defines how you do that. Namely, the content of the apostles' ministry. Repentance and faith in the Lord, the gospel of God's grace, the whole counsel of God, and the message of His kingdom. The Lord is reigning. As to the elders, Paul acknowledges dangers from within and without. From without, he says, wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. I don't know if you follow the sports page uh, as an Oklahoman, but I generally do. Always on the last back page of the sports page is a daily Oklahoman. It talks about fishing and hunting season. Uh, I think quail season started. I think gun season for deer starts in a couple of days. I am telling you, there is no season on Christians. Sometime in January, it ceases to be pheasant season in Kansas. They can let down their guard a little bit. They can go on vacation and holiday. But there is no season on the getting of Christians. And that is why God appoints qualified men to so labor. Wolves seek to come into the church And the elders are defenders. Deacons are defenders of the physical administrative plant, the life of the church. I remind you of this in my own ministry in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, whether you agree with me or not, at least you know that it is my own settled and deep conviction that the church is in the end time tribulation. And the Lord Christ has inaugurated it at the cross. He's preparing his disciples for that end time tribulation. And part of the end time tribulation is false doctrine that I think wholesale has swept into the church as rising tide, floodwaters, engulf people who live too close to rivers and oceans. Reminder that part of the end time tribulation is false doctrine, new doctrine. Doctrine that's changed and been twisted. Matthew chapter 7, the 15th verse. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ferocious wolves. You'll know them by their fruit. We are the hunted. God is raising up defenders for us this very day. Paul tells uh, the Ephesian elders that within their own body men will come speaking perverse things to draw the disciples away after them. Perverse things. Let me translate it this way. New things. I bring to you nothing new. If it's new, it's wrong. God always has a record of His truth. And truth is immutable. Their content is designed to turn the church away from truth. The word to draw is that from which we have our English word apostasy. Isn't it interesting that apostasy begins within the church with fallen elders? Be on your guard. There is a remarkable compressed illustration of all that the Apostle Paul is saying. The very brief epistle, Jude. Jude verses 3 and 4. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation which we share, 
I felt I had to write to you and urge you to contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. All of us do that, but elders and deacons in a special way. Contend for the faith. Notice how the faith is defined. That was once for all delivered to the saints. That's why you cannot monkey with it. It was passed by the Lord Christ to the apostles, then to the elders, through successive generation, once for all delivered to the saints. I tell you again, if I bring something new, I've just messed with that phrase, once for all delivered to the saints. May God help us to be protectors and defenders. Notice why he's contending for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you to do what? To corrupt, to change. By the way, they are generational adversaries. They don't want just you, and if they can't get you, they'll get your children. If they can't get your children, they're after your grandchildren. They are utterly relentless in pursuing, and you are the hunted. And God raises up gifted, timely men as protectors and defenders for the faith that has once for all been delivered to the saints. The danger is great, but God is protection and qualified elders and deacons. One of the things that's remarkable about the culture in which we live, in which there is always a danger of some kind, there's always a solution, isn't there? You're worried about identity theft, you buy some program and they call you. I mean, you know the drill, you hear it a few times during the day. There's a burglary in your neighborhood. Buy a burglar alarm. You have a problem with viruses on your computer, you go buy whatever it is you buy. We're pretty rabid about our physical protection of our physical property. Well, what about your soul? That's the importance of elders and deacons, mothers and fathers. Contending for the faith. Protecting the soul. The soul never dies. It will live forever. And oh, how we ought to protect it. And how God in His grace raises up such men to protect. We care so much about our physical lives. I would like to hope that at Grace Bible Church there ought to be a revival in caring for the soul. God entrust to our care. Let it not be said at Grace Bible Church that we changed the Word of God, that we chased numbers, that we forgot about the content of the faith, that we became pragmatists to the neglect of the souls, men and women and boys and girls. The charge closes with two more imperatives. Verse 31, be on your guard, Paul says, And then remember my ministry. Remember my ministry. He sets himself up as a benchmark, a hallmark. Remember my ministry, he says. Remember the ministry of the Lord. What did the Lord do repetitively through the book of Matthew? He was teaching. He was teaching. He guarded and protected. He was praying. He guarded and protected through prayer. Let it be said of all of us, but certainly elders and deacons. Danger is great. Human responsibility. God will hold the elders and deacons accountable for their ministry. And now Paul does what he has to do. He leaves human responsibility to divine ability in verse 32. He leaves off his charge to the elders by application, the deacons and repairs to God. Because in the final analysis, men fail. And even if they don't fail, they die. That our ultimate protection is left to the divine presence. And of that divine presence, the Lord Jesus says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, 
Lo, I am with you always. At some point, the men before you will die. Their bodies will break up. We will shed our tears. We will give thanks to God for their service. And ultimately, we will wonder, who will care for me now? God will. God does and God has. It's the God that Paul repairs. The sovereignty of God. The majesty of God. The providence of God. I cannot imagine in my own heart how any church could ever survive apart from the sovereignty of God and its proclamation, but wholesale in our culture, we have left the faith. Let it not be said of these men. Now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He turns from the elders to God. Some of the elders are going to fail to their shame. God has never failed. He cannot fail. It's God. In eternity past, He elects His church, dispatches His Son to buy, and the Spirit to gather and to collect and shepherd and protect. Jesus says in John 6 and 10 and over and over again, John 17, none were lost. Well, Ronnie and Paul, you're going to lose some. I'll tell you, it's a heartbreaking thing. You'll see some people slip away. You'll give it your best shot. The final analysis, all you can do is to commend the men and women given unto your charge to the grace of God. God never sleeps. He never slumbers. Always alert. Caring for his people. I commend you to God, the sovereign, the wise, the gracious, whose everlasting covenantal love is our only security. As you know, if you've been Grace Bible Church at any season of time whatsoever, my particular favorite benediction is Jude 23 and 24. Now to him who is able, only God is able. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. If you know that brief epistle, you know everyone is slipping away. The angels have slipped away. Men are slipping away. False prophets are coming into the church, ravaging the flock. It's as if everyone is turned away. But God always has His people because God is a sovereign God and He keeps His people from slipping away. He makes us sure-footed in an ice rink that has been recently watered. He alone makes us steadfast. I commend you to the word of His grace, Paul says. The word of the grace of God. The Scriptures are the word of God. God speaks to us in verbal inspiration. Leave this, and we are on the path to ruin. The church, I fear, is disengaging here. Let it not be said at Grace Bible Church. Only God can keep us in such. The Word is able to build us up and to give us the inheritance among all those that are sanctified. Divine ability is our ultimate defender. Provision for the day. He never leaves his post and he never sleeps. It's a benediction, but it reminds us that ultimately our eternal welfare rests with God. There is that theological tradition that would say something like, good luck, I hope you make it. If you don't, well, maybe you'll be saved a second time or a third time or a fourth time. I'm sorry. God keeps His people. And one of the ways He keeps His people is by raising up committed men who hold to the content that Paul has just passed to you. We live in dangerous times. For such times, God gives us elders and deacons. We need the right men, and we desperately need God every waking day, who gives us the right men and the pledge of divine ability to keep us safe. If Ronnie and Paul would uh, come uh, to the front of the church, going first to publicly charge uh, Ronnie as expression of a divine appointment not a human appointment, it's a divine appointment.
with his call to Grace Bible Church as an elder to whom has been committed the spiritual welfare of the life of the church. Lonnie, do you pledge your commitment and submission to the Word of God as the final authority in all matters pertaining to faith and life in the church? Do you affirm that the church is entrusting to you the ministry of the Word of God and promise not to invent or teach anything that is strange or foreign to the Reformed tradition? You acknowledge the necessity of the biblical and theological succession of the doctrines of the sovereign grace of God in this church. Do you acknowledge the necessity of the moral imperatives established for elders in the pastoral epistles? And lastly, do you understand the solemn responsibility that elders have in the spiritual care and stewardship of the church and that they will give account to God for their prosecution of this most sacred duty. Ronnie Andrews has affirmed his commitment to the call of God. To Paul, God is appointed to be deacon. Notice God has appointed him to be deacon. It's not the appointment of Grace Bible Church, it's the divine call of God for the protection of the physical, administrative life of the church. We need both to work in harmony and unity. Paul, do you pledge your commitment and submission to the Word of God as the final authority in all matters pertaining to faith and life in the church? You acknowledge the necessity of the biblical and theological succession of the doctrines of the sovereign grace of God, Grace Bible Church. Do you acknowledge the necessity, the moral imperatives given to deacons in the pastoral epistles? And lastly, do you understand the solemn responsibility that deacons have in the material and physical care and stewardship of the church and that the deacons will give account to God for their prosecution of this most sacred duty? Paul has affirmed his commitment to this great call of God, presence of the life of the church. Lord, we ask our blessings upon these dear men, raised up by God, divine providence for such an hour, for such a people, for the saints of the living God. Bless them, keep them, preserve them. May they minister in joy, in life, in service, in humility, in compassion, tenderness, and kindness, and in all things according to the word of the great God of heaven, who manifests his presence in word and sacrament. Bless these men in their appointment. In the name of the Father, and the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. We have, again, uh, another very solemn part uh, of our uh, service this morning, and that is the charge to the congregation. Uh, the difficulties of ministry and the content of ministry has been explained. Who can so engage apart from God's grace? The help of the congregation. Kind and encouraging words. Constant reminders to press ahead, to go the distance, to run the race, to finish the course. And so I'm going to charge the congregation with just such this morning. While we will speak these words very quickly, I remind you the charge should never leave you as their charge can never leave them. If you affirm your commitment to this charge, simply respond in the affirmative of we do. Do you promise to pray, encourage, and support these men in such a way that their work will be a joy and advance the kingdom of God in our midst. We do. Again, remain standing. I'm going to close our service. Uh, after the benediction, I'm going to ask you to come forward if you uh, have the time, and I trust you have a moment in time, and greet your new uh, elder, Ronnie Andrews, and your new deacon, uh, Paul Buchanan. The benediction is from the book of Hebrews, the closing of the chapter.
most instructive. The church has been in great danger. Men are slipping away. Uh, but the author closes with this beautiful benediction. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing in Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.